I don't know what it was, uh, going to camp this week. Uh, this was Noah's actually first week of camp ever. It was pretty exciting uh, for us and uh, to send him off and to see him come back. Of course, the first thing he did tell us about uh, when he, we met him here at the church, along with all the other boys in the van, was about how some of the boys ate crickets uh, all week. It's like, thank you for that great spiritual highlight. Dad, Dad, one kid ate 15 of them. <laughs> They're like... Oh, ready for the emails this week, uh, but uh, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, going to camp reminded me, seeing the song this morning too, of some kid songs when I was back in the day growing up in Alabama. I've tried to repress some of those memories, but uh, there was a song that we sang, and it jumped in my mind, Germs, Germs, My Invisible Doll. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's really... Very spiritual. It's my very best friend. It's from this, I think it was a play called Down by the Creek Bank. It's not to be confused with Down by the Bank at the Hanky Pank where the bullfrog jumps from bank to bank. You know, that's, come on, you're the slapping game with the kid. All right, ask a teenager later on. But uh, Germs is, goes like this. My very best friend is a little shaggy dog chewing on my tennis shoes and running through the hall. He's kind of like my shadow because he's everywhere I go. He sleeps in my bed, but my mommy doesn't know. I hide him in my pocket because he's very, very small. Germs, germs, my invisible dog. You can sing if you'd like. Uh, he runs like the wind, and he knows some funny tricks. I thought this section was going to get it. Uh, he doesn't like carrots, and spinach makes him sick. He loves cotton candy and purple lemonade, Oreo cookies and yellow Gatorade. I hide him in my pocket because he's very, very small. Germs, germs, my invisible dog. I Here's the spiritual part. I take him to church, but nobody ever sees the little shaggy spotted dog sitting on my knee. He's learning Bible verses and he loves the happy songs. He often falls asleep when the sermon is too long. Yikes. I hope he wasn't here last week. I hide him in my pocket because he's very, very small. Germs, germs, my invisible dog. I don't know why we teach kids some of these songs, but uh, that was the one that jumped into my mind uh, as I was at camp this week, this germ song. I also was thinking about Despicable Me, the first one. Not the second one, the first one, both equally good. But in the first one, do you remember the plot line? The Gru character, the the the... The used-to-be-bad guy turns into a good guy. He's trying to do something to accomplish something. He's trying to shrink the moon. Ah, 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 I'll shrink the moon. And he does it. And uh, what happens at the, at the end? Do, 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 the moon, it's, uh, it kind of blows up back to where the proportion size and uh, things uh, work out in the end. But uh, some things were not meant to be shrunk. Some things were not meant to be shrunk. In fact, one other song that's from the teen years, that's it's a song that kind of, kind of jumped in my mind. I was thinking about things that were not meant to shrink. There's a song that's very spiritual about uh, if I had a little white, or it starts off with a, a white box, little white box to put my Jesus in, I take him out and and share him with a friend. And if I had a little black box to put the devil in, I would take him out and smash his face. 
and put him back again. That's what we teach at teen camp because that's much more spiritual. Uh, But it always griped me to hear that song because you just think, put my Jesus in a little white box? Some things, they just weren't meant to be shrunk. They weren't meant to be shrunk, and they certainly weren't meant to be kept in our pockets. Luke, or we're in the book of uh, Acts. Uh, the writer, the author is, is Luke. But if you've, if you've been with us, uh, it's been a great series as we've looked at the church on the go and what God has done through the Holy Spirit, through the early church. Acts chapter 9 is where we're at today. If you don't have a Bible, you can check it out on the screen. And it says this for us. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you? Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. So here's Saul. If we remember from a couple chapters before, he was there when Stephen died, the first Christian martyr. He was the one that was actually probably leading the attack that day as the, the coats fell to his feet in approval. He was breathing out these murderous threats against the way. The way, that was what they used to call the people of God, the people of Jesus back in the day, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he was trying to destroy the church. Now let's do a quick history lesson on our our friend Saul. Saul was like the nerdy kid, okay? He was like the golden boy. He was the one that was always making straight A's, top of his class in uh, Jewish school. In fact, most likely, he probably knew, memorized the entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. I don't know if you want to grab your Bible and kind of get a chunk of that and see how much that is. Memorize. He knew the law. He was a Pharisee. He was like the creme de la creme of, of that, that group of people, backwards and forwards. But we know what happened, though, right? We know this is the group of people that actually led Jesus to the cross. This is the group of people that was so blinded that everything from the, in, in prophecy, many, from beginning to, to the end, point to Jesus as being the Messiah. And yet, and yet they were totally blinded by this whole thing. I don't know if you've ever been that blinded before that you could miss something that's right in front of you. I don't know if you've ever said something, and it was not until later on you're like, I cannot I believe that I said this. I cannot believe that I did this. And when your eyes are opening up, you go, oh, how could I have missed this? I wonder if that was the feeling 
for Saul that day. There's been a lot of people that have missed it, really. I don't know if you remember that Solomon character in the Old Testament. I mean, he had all the wisdom in the world. And he accumulated all this wealth and all this stuff. But once he got all that power, something began to change in him where he had a hard time deciphering right and wrong. There is a a story from a couple of years ago. And uh, there's a group that was uh, from out of Las Vegas, Siegfried and Roy. I don't know if you remember them. They would, the tiger uh, tamers there. I think they were white tigers even. There was, it's about 10 years ago now that Roy Horn, I believe his name was, he was actually attacked by a tiger during an act and, and suffered some horrific injuries. And, you know, and I, was, I remember seeing that story and thinking the same thing really, I think, today. You know, some things... We're not meant to be tamed. It's a tiger. The nature of a tiger is to be a tiger. And when we lose that respect for such things, then things change. There's a verse that I want us to think about today. It's Proverbs 9 and 10. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the, holy, uh, of the holy is understanding. This word fear, immediately when we think fear, we're thinking like things that we're scared of. Let's be honest, there's a couple things that I'm scared of. I don't know what you're scared of. Uh, I am frightened of snakes. Can't stand snakes, don't like snakes. If you are a snake lover, bless you. Uh, spiders, not a big fan of either, but I can endure what are you, what, what makes you scared? Like animals, things, is there something out there to just, it makes you fearful? Share with your neighbor real quick the thing that makes you the most fearful and go now. Anybody want to shout out the thing that they're afraid of? Spiders? Mice. They are creepy, those eyes. Something else? What? Flying roaches. Gross. Gross. What's that? Women. I don't know if your father heard that. Uh, He's in the room. I, I don't like snakes, I just told you that. We were on an RTA trip a couple of weeks ago, and the kids like found these snakes along the way, and they were picking these little, they're not poisonous snakes, but they're still snakes, okay? I don't want to have anything to do with that, all right? Now, Casey Huron, she's very brave. She was scared of snakes, but they kind of coerced her into holding the snake. You know, I got to tell you, I immediately said this in my mind, and then I said it out loud. I'm 35 years old. Uh, There's nothing you're going to say to me right now that's going to make me pick up that snake, okay? All right? And I respect anyone that respects things that we should respect, okay? Now, when we think about fear, we think sometimes of these things, but, and it's hard for us to make the transfer to God, the fear of the Lord, but we cannot escape it through Scripture. 
mean, just look at a handful. Now, if we just read all of the scriptures that had that phrase, to fear the Lord, the fear of the Lord, we could just take the rest of our time here. But I'm going to read just a handful throughout scripture. And just check out the words on the screen. Exodus 14:31. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses his servant. Deuteronomy 5:29. Oh that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Joshua 4, 23, 24, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what had been done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. He did this so that all the people on the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Psalms 85.9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory might dwell in our land. Psalm 103.11 and then 13, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who, what? Fear him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. His mercy extends, Luke 150, to those who fear him from generation to generation. 2 Corinthians 5.11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. And so we try to persuade men. Webster's Dictionary tells us this, a couple of definitions. An unpleasant, when we think about fear, an unpleasant emotion caused by being aware of danger. We get that, don't we? Uh, when, when danger is there, we get this unpleasant emotion. Uh, I went skydiving almost 10 years ago. The most, the most fearful moment I've had in my life in this definition is the moment right before I jumped, I could physically feel my body shaking and quaking. The only thing that got me out that door that day the only thing was that my 50-year-old mother had just gone and done the same thing. <laughs> and I was not going to live with that. But I have never been so afraid in my entire life than that moment. I point to that moment and think about it often. And my wife was about to come after me, so I knew that it had to, to happen there. So, all right. Unpleasant emotion caused by the, uh, being aware of danger. A feeling of being afraid. This, this last one I want us to focus on. A feeling of respect and wonder for something that is very, very powerful. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? How powerful God is. How big God is. I told you about RTA. It's one of my favorite trips. We're, and you can just throw this in there. We're looking for a youth pastor right now. Be praying that God would lead us to someone uh, that has a heart for God and loves teenagers. That's our, our prayer and our hope, and that, you would, that God would give discernment as we, we go through this process. But to out in RTA, it's, it's one of my, fa it's my favorite trip because you go to Colorado, and when you go to Colorado, you get to see things that we don't normally get to see. A couple of pictures that I took, you can tell they're not great pictures because I took them, uh, but on my phone, and so the quality is not fantastic. But uh, when I get into these environments, when I see God's handiwork, it's hard to deny our creator. 
It's hard to look at these amazing things and just and say there is no God. As we see these mountains and trees and these valleys. I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon before and stood at the edge. I mean, it's just hits you, the grandeur of God. Then, of course, we have other pictures when people steal my phone and uh, they take selfies of themselves. Uh, I have a microphone now every Sunday, and I will use it. But we see the glory of God, the grandeur. When, this, this year, I, I did something I hadn't actually done before. I had the kids get in the middle of the field, and we kind of made a, a pinwheel. We all looked up to the, at the sky, and this is not, I wish this was the picture, but I, I just kind of soaked I just kind of soaked it in that night as we were looking for shooting stars and we saw satellites and just amazing, you know you see more stars out there than, than we can see possibly here in Houston. They're just everywhere, thousands and thousands. We know that there's hundreds of billions of stars that are out there. And I, I immediately thought of this, I saw a video a couple years ago that just rocked my world. It was about a golf ball, so that immediately got my attention, and about a, a guy named Louis Giglio, and he talked about, it was the pastor, and he talked about just the, the grandeur of God and how big he actually is. And he compared the earth to a golf ball, the size of a golf ball. And if this isn't just kind of a, this is totally inaccurate, but just a visual for us today. But if, if a golf ball, if the earth was a golf ball and the sun, we do get to see the sun here in Houston. Let's just say, put it on the screen. That's, a, that's actually a picture of the sun this morning, if that just blows your mind from satellites this morning. But uh, we're going to blow that up. So it'll be about 15 feet in diameter. If the sun is 15 feet in diameter, okay, this is the earth in comparison. All right? Okay? You can fit, you can fit 960,000 earths into the sun. 960,000 into the sun. There is another star that's out there. And that star, is they gave it the name Beetlejuice. Funny name. Weird movie. Uh, Beetlejuice. And it's 427,000 light years away. And Beetlejuice is two times, not the sun, but the orbit of the earth around the sun. Okay, picture Earth orbiting the sun, that size, times two. If we took a golf ball, that's the size of the Earth, you can fit Empire State Building, seven Empire State Buildings filled with golf balls. That is the size of this star. I I can't even wrap my mind around that. Okay, now think about that as we hear Psalms 33 this morning. By the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. The stars, the billions of stars in our universe, our God made. Ponder that, just soak that in for a second. He gathers the water of the sea into jars. The waters of our seas into just jars. He puts the deep into the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. 
Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. I don't know if you've ever felt the awe, that kind of fear, to be in comparison to a God that is that big. Now, if I took just a little dimple, there's about 336 dimples on this golf ball, and we'll just call that us. How crazy is it that just me, you, on this, is telling that what to do sometimes? That's frightening. And when we get into the presence of God, And it's happened a few times in Scripture. We see it in Isaiah 6, where he goes into the temple. Remember that scene, Isaiah? And suddenly, the temple is filled with the glory of God. There's angels everywhere. There's smoke. And there is God on the throne, just revealed in his presence. What is his immediate reaction? He falls to his face. When we get into the presence of God, you know, the Bible tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess You know, thought about that. I don't think it's forced. I think when you get into that kind of presence, you don't have a choice. It's just you're hit with the grandeur and the glory of God, and you have no other choice. You realize that you're nothing, that I am nothing. And when that hits you, and they're like, hit, hit, hit Isaiah that day. Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He's a priest. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. We see that same kind of moment in Revelation chapter 1, where it says this, John, now remember John, he was the disciple Jesus loved. He was one of the closest disciples to Jesus on earth. He gets a picture years later of Jesus revealed. Now we believe Jesus emptied himself and became like one of us. So essentially veiling who, this is the complete glory of who he is, veiling himself for us. But when he was just unveiled, For John to see, this is what we get in Revelation chapter 1. And here it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. And with a golden sash around his chest, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing water and in his right hand he held seven stars coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun in all its brilliance and when I saw him I fell at his feet as though I was dead when God's glory is revealed everyone will bow And everyone will confess. You're going to do it either here or there when you fully realize, oh, I hope that it's here. But what's God's reaction? Every time he reveals himself like that, what happens in Isaiah? When Isaiah's face down the ground and saying, I am a man of unclean lips, Jesus responds in grace. An angel comes over with a coal and puts it on his lips. What happens in John? Here in in, in this book in Revelation, he says this, Then he placed his right hand on me, his right hand on me. Do not be afraid. He follows up this, when you get this this awe and reverent fear that hits you, he follows it up with this. Don't be, don't be 
fearful other definition. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forevermore, and I will hold the keys of death and Hades. C.S. Lewis uh, famously wrote The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's a scene in the movie, and uh, there's some dialogue that I love. And it's talking about Aslan the lion, when the kids are getting ready to go and see Aslan and meet Aslan for the very first time. And they're talking to the beavers. Remember the, the beaver couple, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver? And they're asking about, okay, what's this going to be like? What are, what are we going to do when we see this lion, this Aslan? And Aslan is this metaphorical creature throughout that represents God. And it says this, I shall feel nervous about meeting a lion, this is the kids, that you will, that you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then is he safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is good. He is the king, I tell you. He is not safe, folks. But he is good. And we should in us have a reverent awe and, to be honest, a righteous fear of God. How dare we tell the king of kings, the maker of all, the one who's done all this and created all that we see and know, what right and wrong is? Well, I'm just not going to serve a God like that. And shrink him to a God that we can control and a God that we tell what to do and a God not the way it was meant to be. I, uh, I go to this place as often as I can, but when I preach, I try to uh, every week. Uh, Lanier Library, this guy named Mark Lanier, he's a, he's a lawyer, and he has graced our community with this hidden library that's just, it's amazing. It's, just, it's a million-dollar complex, and there's a huge library, best library that I've ever been in as far as biblical books, and there's a chapel there. And I believe the story is that he built this chapel for his daughters to get married there. And I think, ironically, they got married in other places. But uh, beautiful, beautiful place made of stone. There are just pictures everywhere of our story, our history as, as God's people. And uh, there is an old, uh, there is an old uh, pulpit that's there. And it's the kind that you've seen in a lot of churches that you have to go up about five feet off the ground. And you get this view of the whole uh, chapel there. And it's, it's beautiful. And uh, every week... I try to go and stand in that position and kind of just feel the gravity, the weight of that spot. Because I look out and think and feel the responsibility that I have to deliver the word. And I have to tell you, honestly, this is a tough thing to talk about. But when we lighten sin, and we say, this is right, this is wrong. We are becoming gods ourselves. And we break the first commandment of putting other gods before him. There is going to be a day 
that we are going to stand in the holy presence of the one, and we're going to have to give account for our lives. You are going to have to give account of our lives. And when that day comes, how you've lived your life on this planet is going to make the difference in that direction. And to be faithful to God's word, I have to tell you that. We serve a God that's big and huge and is full of grace. He's full of grace and mercy, but he is a good God. He is a just God. And sometimes we get our pictures of God mixed up, maybe because, maybe because we have had bad father pictures in our life. Maybe we know that there are some fathers that say one thing and do something else. And hey, no stones here. I'm fighting. I'm trying to be the best dad that I can be. And I know how difficult that is. Say one thing and do another, or say this is going to happen and not deliver. And so this messes up our picture sometimes of what a father looks like, one that is full of grace and truth. There's truth. So when we, when we have a picture of a father that says, well, I'm going to do this, it doesn't happen. And that kind of messes things up, doesn't it? When we see a, a father that says, this is going to happen. We have to respect that. We have to understand that. And when Saul gets a picture of who this God is, his world is blown apart that day. He's changed forever. In fact, later on, he changes his name. He changes his name. And, and, and one person I, I heard, one scholar said this, if you take the works of Saul, Paul, and you put it on a scale and you put the works of all humanity on the other side, I don't know if they would still equal out. Because this guy, Paul, who who didn't have a right view of God, did not have a right fear of God, he went on to write much of the New Testament that we know of. And God did amazing things through. God can change our view. And when he changes our view, we get an accurate picture of him. He can do amazing things in our life. Let's keep reading really quick in Acts chapter 9. There's another character in the story I want us to see. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. They, Lord, the Lord called him. Uh, to a vision, and he said this to, to, to him, Ananias, less, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Apparently, they had street names back then. And he asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Come and place his hand, hands on him to restore his sight. His reaction, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here and with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. In my Bible, and then I think the NIV says it with an exclamation point, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer or my name. God speaks to Ananias. And his response, but God, you don't understand. But God, you, you don't understand. There are some things that we're afraid of in the world, and, and probably rightfully so. Snakes, hey, we just respect that, you know, that's a snake. That's a tiger, okay? That's a spider that could be poisonous or it could be a grindy log legs. I can't tell the difference. But there's some things that we should just kind of, you know, respect because we're smart. 
But there's also some things that we're afraid of that shape our lives. There are people that we're afraid of, afraid of rejection, afraid of uh, being called out or being embarrassed. And these have shaped who we are since we were teenagers. And they continue to shape and mold how people treat us, what people think. And these things, can we be honest, they cause us anxiety and stress in our life. And there's not a person in this room that it can escape that, that temptation to be fearful. The Lord kind of revealed to me in a statement this week, you know, as I thought about this, about being fearful and, and being anxious. You know, every time that I have anxious thoughts, thoughts, right, I get fearful about things that are maybe out of my control, I demonstrate a lack of faith in God, a lack of faith in God. There are things that we should fear in this world, and there are some things that we should not. Matthew 10, 28, these are the words of Jesus. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who destroys both the soul and body in hell. Bonhoeffer said this, the first commandment, the entire gospel, fear, this is the first commandment, the entire gospel, fear God instead of the many things you fear. It's dangerous and lacking faith by fearing things that we shouldn't fear. Oswald Chambers, great, my utmost from his highest, is a fantastic devotional book if you need one, says this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is this, is that you, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. If you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And I don't know if there's anxiety or stress in your life right now. What are, what are the things that you're afraid of? For Ananias, it was a man that could cause problems in his life. I can't go there, Lord. You don't understand what we've heard about this guy, Saul. I mean, he's killing people. I don't know if you've heard about this guy, Stephen, but he killed him. I don't know what pressures, what stresses are out there, what fears that you have in this life, but I can tell you one thing. They're nothing compared to our God. They are nothing compared to our God. Romans 8, 28, right after he talks about all things work together for the good of those who love him, what does it say in verse 31? What then shall we say in response to this thing, these things? If God is for us, if God is for you today, then what can be against you? What can be against you? Going on to 35, he says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face day, death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, nor the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in this creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Folks, we've got to stop fearing things in our lives that we should not be afraid of. We're, we're shrinking our God. We're shrinking him in comparison to things 
that will fade away. Things that we should not be afraid of. And I am just guilty. There's a passage of scripture that's been on my heart. It's Isaiah 41. Maybe this is a passage that you want to just live in this week. And it says this. So do not fear. This is God. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous, victorious right arm. He goes on to talk about how, you know, your enemies, forget about them. Forget about them. I'll take care of those, okay? You just leave that to to me, okay? I'll take care of those. For I am the Lord your God, and I, I'm the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. This is the God, righteous right arm, and it's the same, just, just get this picture, righteous right arm that, that the stars, and the other hand, is holding your hand. Is holding your hand. Who are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? If you have the proper fear of the Lord, if you are in right relationship with God, there's nothing that you should be afraid of in this world. I was talking to a friend, and he's been looking at, you know, we asked that question uh, last week about, you know, why, why do the churches that are in persecuted areas, why do they blow up? Why are they... Why are they doing well, multiplying? And he said this to me. You know what I've noticed? Is those people are operating not on fear. They're operating on faith. They're churches that are operating on faith. And we see it in Acts chapter 9 at the very end. When all this goes down after it all, this this is what the word tells us. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, proper respect for our God, and the encouragement and comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit. That is the word of the Lord today for you. This morning, we're going to sing a, a song that's been around for a while. It's a pretty simple song, How Great is Our God. And as we stand and we praise and we, as we declare and we remember what and how big our God is, think about that in comparison to what you're afraid of. And maybe this morning, just in your heart of hearts, you need to take hold of the hand that is reaching out to you today. The one that holds the stars is the one that's reaching out for you and wants to offer you comfort and I want to offer you reassurance that he is in charge of all things. God, you're good to us. Lord, thank you for who you are and how you have revealed yourself to us, God. Confessionally, Lord, when we come into your presence, when I get into your presence, God, Lord, all things are laid bare. And Lord, sometimes the, our sins are revealed. And Jesus, Lord, there is a friend in this place today that, that needs to confess to you as we have seen your grandeur today and realize that we are nothing compared to you. And and in your presence, just like Isaiah, we fall to our face 
say, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Lord, if there's someone that needs today to, to, to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for... I'm sorry for the sin in my life, the choices that I've made. And I've said, I am God. I will do this because I want to do this. Jesus, forgive us for our disobedience. Jesus, I pray, Lord, I pray for the one that's there this morning that is so fearful, so anxious about the future. Knees are shaken not because of your presence, but because of just the stuff and this temporary life, God, that is so distracting. God, I pray, Lord, that you would wrap your arms around them today. Reveal yourself to them that you are the God that holds the universe. Lord, we thank you and we praise you this morning by singing this song.